Hello everybody and welcome to Ask the CEO with Abraham Gatile. Today's episode features an interview that I did with Ruben Dreiblatt, the editor-in-chief at Favio in New York City. I was interviewed on many cool topics such as 5G, IoT, the future of artificial intelligence, hacks and ransomware, cybersecurity, and data privacy. We had a lot of fun in this conversation. Let's check it out. First question, how do you see the 5G rollout affecting the Internet of Things? Will older devices still function despite some devices pushing more data at a faster rate? Sure, yeah, so if we take a look at the last few years, the rollout of IoT devices, mm. you'll notice a slow and steady progression. Mm -hmm. uh, in 2016, so taking the last four years, you sure. know, we start out with 6.3 billion IoT devices. 2017, we moved up to eight. Okay. 2018, 11, and then this year, 2020, there's a projection of 20 billion IoT devices. Wow! And you know these numbers keep changing depending on which uh, right. you know well, you which ask. company sure. uh, um, releases those right. numbers. But the point is, there's a nice slow and steady progression. Mm. 5G is going to change that. It's going to enable a massive scale of IoT devices. So we're gonna see lots more IoT devices being deployed um, much quicker in many more places. And it's going to enable many different applications everywhere from smart cities to healthcare. Um, I had the opportunity to interview Inma Rodriguez mm. uh, from Ericsson on my show, Ask the CEO. Inma is Ericsson's head for the European and Latin American market area. And we had this conversation about 5G and, and what it's going to enable us and what's the rollout gonna look like. Right. Um, so if you take a look, what, what our discussion was, if you take a look at the evolution of mobile broadband, you know, the 2G, 3G, 4G. Right. First you had texting, you know, you're right. able to send a text. Right. Unfortunately, I think we're all still there. Yeah. <laughs> um, then we went to emails right. and web browsing, and right. then we went to watching movies on our phones. Streaming, sure. 5G is gonna be more than just an evolution. It's gonna be more than just another G. Mm. It's gonna be exponential. Mm. I mean, you know, uh, let's talk about uh, applications such as uh, smart cities. Uh, autonomous vehicles are right. big topic, right? Sure, sure. Um, one of the things that's going to enable is that connected infrastructure. Right. So uh, as human, as we human drivers, uh, we operate our vehicles, we interact with everything, with our, the whole environment around us. Uh, we're looking at a distance, at the traffic light six blocks away to know how fast we can go in order to get that yellow light to get past there. You sure. know, we see that idiot that's about to cut us off and all sorts of things. You know, right. we, we, we're interacting with the whole environment. We could see um, black ice on the road um, if we're paying attention and we know to slow down and so on. Um, autonomous vehicles today are relying on radar and optical technology right. in order to be able to drive safely, mm. but that connection to the infrastructure mm. is still lacking. Uh, 5G technology is going to enable that. The road is gonna tell the vehicle, right. hey, there's ice on me, you right. know, reduce speed. And same thing, the traffic lights, the intersections. Mm. Um, and that's gonna make not just autonomous vehicles, but even the human-driven vehicles much safer. Mm. And that's just one application. Right. Um, healthcare is another one. So sure. telehealth is a big, uh, big deal. Sure. Um, it's not a new technology. You know, we've been uh, using telehealth for 
quite a number of years, mm -hmm. but it's expanding. 5G is going to enable telehealth to expand, to allow doctors to do uh, life-saving surgeries for people in developing countries that don't have access to medical care through robots. Mm. Uh, there was a story recently, uh, an, an astronaut on the International Space Station needed uh, some medical care. Really? And a doctor from Earth was uh, providing assistance on wow. the phone. Wow, um, I didn't hear about that. You know, we're, we're going to Mars. Elon Musk, I don't know if he's <laughs> sending a hospital to Mars. Elon, if you're listening, you know, you may wanna, he might wanna do that. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure Elon is going to send a medical robot. Right, right, Elon? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't know if 5G will enable us to perform surgery right. on Mars from Earth, but it's that idea mm, that, mm. that um, low latency, high bandwidth, right. that, that uh, ubiquitous connectivity that's going to enable so many applications like this. So we're going to see the rollout of uh, IoT increasing mm. exponentially. Now, in terms of your question about um, about older technology, right? How does that factor in? Yeah, when, you know, generally when we see improvements in in a field, sometimes there's the, the lag behind of older older devices. Not always a device, but can can cause uh, you know a delay in adaption to the the newer model. Yeah. So I come from the telecom world. Sure. And uh, what's interesting when uh, our company, the companies I worked for, you know, we had these marketing presentations. They always presented the solution in a pristine environment. Everything's brand new. <laughs> Rip out the old, in, in with the, the new. new. Sure. But as you know, in the real world, it doesn't work that of way. Course you not. have yeah, a right. hodgepodge, jury rigged, right. duct taped uh, solution right. of old technology working together with new technology. Absolutely. And, and that's how it's going to be like in the post 5G world. Mm -hmm. So, just to give you an idea, if we look at some of the European telecom carriers, uh, Swisscom mm -hmm. uh, out of Switzerland. Sure is going to maintain their 2G network until uh, January 1st, 2021. Okay. So we are still gonna be using 2G, 2G. Yeah. in conjunction with 5G. Um, uh, T-Mobile, we mm. all know T-Mobile is. So same time, December 31st, 2020. They're, so they're, they still got 2G. Right. Even better, uh, Norway, um, Telnor, out of Norway, they're keeping 2G till December 31st, 2025. Wow. So I think that uh, five uh, or 4G is going to be around, you know, when we still have 6G. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's going to be around for a while. For it's a gonna, while. Just like 5G won't be an evolution in terms of technology, but in terms of the adoption, mm. um, there is going to be an evolution. We, we've all invested lots of money in this infrastructure, right, right. and it's not practical to rip everything out. So. Definitely not, especially if you know the next G is around the corner You know, in a couple of years. It's like we spent all this money adopting to this one, and now there's a new one. Exactly. Um, you know, just an interesting thing. Uh, about just going back to uh, what we just discussed about the rollout yeah. of uh, IoT and how 5G will will influence that. Mm -hmm. 5G will also influence another aspect of IoT. It'll influence the manufacturing of IoT. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is we also need to look at a second set of statistics that are in parallel to the IoT rollout. So if we look at the same time period from 2016 through today, mm -hmm. um, we need to look at the numbers of records exposed during data breaches. Mm. Uh, you know, because we're adding devices onto our networks, right. we're getting hacked. Right. Unlike IoT rollout, which was 
slow and steady year over year. Data breaches right. have been exponential. Absolutely. You know, 2016, we were at 36 million records exposed. As if that was bad enough, 2017 right. went up to 197 million. Oh then it jumped to 446 million in 2018. 2019 was a disaster tenfold. Yeah. It jumped tenfold to 4 billion. This year, people are still hung over from New Year's. I mean, we're literally two weeks into a new decade yeah. and Honda was just breached and we've got a billion records down the drain. Oh my God. So, you know, it's getting better and better. We're adding, I saw a statistic, we're adding 127 connected devices per second. Uh, either per second or, or minute. I'm sorry. Still, I, still, still that, that, that's a that's, lot. That's, that's yeah, a I, was, I was getting a little excited. Yeah. Per, per minute, let's let yeah. Let's sure, see. we'll tell you that. But you know, but that that's a lot. Right, that's um, a ton. And not to say that IoT is the cause of data breach, but right. let's let's face facts. An mm -hmm. IoT device is an entry point yes. to your network. It makes us vulnerable. It makes us vulnerable. It can be a hopping point totally. to our network. Definitely. And then from there, you know, hackers have full reign. So if we're, you know, let's take a, a smart factory. Mm. Um, the industrial IoT is especially vulnerable um, because they have hundreds of thousands of devices right. on their network. Right. So could you imagine we're, we're adding hundreds of thousands of devices? We've got to guard every single one of them. It's a huge problem. Yeah, right? The hackers need to get into one. Right. One door. One door. We need to guard hundreds of thousands of doors. Yeah. Now, let's say we have super secure technology. I mean, Fort Knox, right? You cannot get in. Sure. The day you deploy that device, it's already vulnerable. Mm. Because we both know in six months from now, there'll be new technology right. that'll be developed. And because it had new technology, now this is obsolete technology right. and it's vulnerable. Right. So how do you protect devices against threats that don't even exist? Mm. And you know, the answer is you do it the way we've done it traditionally, that is through patching devices. Mm. Well, that's very nice, but we can't even get our Windows servers patched. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Cut. Woo, yeah, we'll, we'll cut that out in post. Yeah. So we can't even get our Windows servers patched. Properly, right. Right. Uh, how are we going like, to patch, I don't know, 600,000 IoT devices? And, and you know what it's like to do that manually? How many patches have awesome. people downloaded from the internet oh that have been God. infected? So, many. so you've got a secure device super secure, nothing can get in, you upload a patch, boom, you just gave the keys to your company to a hacker. Mm -hmm. So what we're going to see as part of the manufacturing process of IoT is a full life cycle uh, automated patch management solution mm -hmm. that utilizes AI to um, automatically push those patches, download them from secure places, and mm. patch each IoT device as required without the manual human intervention. So these are the kinds of things that we're going to see as uh, time goes on in a post-5G world. Do you think that those, would those patches be able to stop somebody who's putting in you know, uh, an actual piece of hardware that's acting as the, the hack? You know, that's, that's a great question. I actually speak with uh, several cybersecurity uh, experts about that. Mm. One, one of them is a good colleague of mine. Uh, his name is Scott Schober. Mm -hmm. He just wrote a book called Cybersecurity is Everybody's Business. Mm. Uh, I encourage everybody to read that. 
His company, uh, Berkeley Veritronic Systems, based out of Metuchen, New Jersey, specializes in that kind of threat detection. Mm -hmm. So that would require a different um, methodology because right. software you know, can uh, guard against software and maybe to some extent hardware, but sometimes that chip yeah. bypasses, the bypasses the OS, yep. bypasses everything, and we need a different kind of uh, protection for that. Absolutely, the hardware level is very vulnerable. I actually also, I spoke to um, a cybersecurity expert for a previous idea who's working, he's based out of Israel, and he, he runs a cybersecurity company called Sepio Systems, which is focused on the hardware level. And really, you know, doing something to mitigate these rogue USB devices that somebody might put in or Raspberry Pi in, in a massive manufacturing plant. I mean, there's, you know, we're all scanning on the software level and one employee, you know, puts one thing in because they were trained by some, you know, outside, outside source who only wants to do harm. But... It is encouraging, though. It does. It does seem like there's a lot of promise with 5G. A lot of promise with these new rollouts. We definitely have to keep in mind yeah. the the cybersecurity concerns and how do we how do we mitigate that? How do we not, you know, for the sake of for the sake of progress, how do we not leave ourselves more vulnerable in other areas? Exactly. Um, okay. Um, on another another question, different note, switching topics a little bit. What excites you most about the future of AI, and uh, what do you what do you fear in turn with that? Yeah, so there are, there are lots of exciting applications uh, coming out for, uh, you know, with AI. Right. Um, you know, just dovetailing on cybersecurity. I mean, sure. 5G is going to be a game changer for cyber. We're going to need AI, just like we finished off right, right. now. Uh, we're going to need AI because it's just going to be physically impossible to keep track of everything. Sure. Um, in terms of some cool technology coming out, um, so, you know, we've got smart cities mm. um, and there's a technology called NLP, uh, known as natural language processing, sure. which uses AI in order to understand what it is we're saying. Right. So imagine uh, walking down the street, New York City, when it's finally smart sure. and uh, just uh, speaking, you know, we're not even need our Bluetooth anymore, we're right. just speaking to the nearest lamppost. Hey, um, you know, how many seats are on the M48? Right. <laughs> and it's going to know through AI, it's going to be able to mm. uh, tell you how many seats or um, here's another interesting application. Smart cameras are becoming very big. Mm. Uh, they are very big. Right. And smart cameras can actually be used for applications such as detecting bacteria levels on food. So we'll be able to query our smart cameras and say, hey, uh, you know, how does the cabbage look on, right. uh, you know, on the supermarket there? Is this chicken still good? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when is that milk going to spoil? Because, yeah. my gosh, I buy a bottle of milk and a day later it's spoiled. So. July 3rd. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like that. But you know what? Those are what I call utilitarian. They're cool technology, but that doesn't excite me. Mm. Um, I just threw that in there because those are exciting technologies. What really excites me is a technology called conversational commerce. Conversational commerce. Now, like the name implies, mm. uh, conversational commerce refers to when somebody interacts with a with a business. Mm. It could be on a uh, messenger application, you know, like send a text, sure. WhatsApp, sure. Uh, or a voice assistant. So mm. Alexa is becoming big, Siri, maybe Neon, uh, <laughs> you know, the new artificial virtual human. Right. You know, you're leveraging one of these channels to interact with a business. Mm. 
Uh, let's give an example. We just uh, complain about milk spoiling. Right? Yes. So uh, we've got these uh, smart fridges. Uh, right. We walk into our kitchen and go, hey, fridge. Uh, how much milk do we have left? And right. if it's programmed with a snarky AI attitude, it'll respond back, yo, boss, the rate you're guzzling it, it'll be gone in an hour. But, you know, when it detects you're getting a little bit irritated, yeah. but I can order a new bottle right now and it'll be here in an hour on a drone. All right, so, and this is real technology. Right, absolutely. Um, and, you know, here's another one, even, even more exciting. Mm. So, you like coffee? Big fan. You love drinking it, right? Love it. What about when you run out of those K-cups? You like uh, restocking that? It's not the most fun. Not the most fun, <laughs> right? So, imagine on a tired morning, you're, you know, you're groggy, you've got a busy day ahead of you, you walk up to your coffee maker, hey, coffee maker, make me a coffee. Right. Now, your coffee maker, can detect by the inflection in your voice that you're not in the best of moods. Right. It knows by looking at your calendar, you've got a jam-packed day today, mm. and it knows by your wearable that mm. you didn't have much sleep. Wow. It's going to make you a double espresso. Sure. Right? It knows exactly what to make you. Sure. Now, as it's That's brewing away, yeah. it goes, um, by the way, uh, I hate to tell you this, but your teenagers had a party last night and they drank up all the coffee. This is your last one. Um, I can get you one at Amazon. They are on sale now for $2 off mm. and we'll have it in an hour on a drone. Should I order it? Mm. Yes. Okay, boom. <clears throat> that, uh, that transaction was taken care of. So this kind of technology is going to enable people to benefit from technology like AI without having to deal with hassles. You know, people right. are busy enough in their lives. They don't have to worry about whether or not you have coffee. Right, right. But if you ask me if that excites me, I would say no. <laughs> that's, not, that's not enough for you. That's not enough excitement for me. Oh, okay. I, I need that espresso. Okay, sure. So what, what really excites What really you? excites yeah. me. This technology excites me, but that's not why. Right. So we're all entrepreneurs, sure. and as you know, and by being an entrepreneur and speaking with entrepreneurs, what keeps us up at night? Trying to get that cash flow, mm. right? That stream of reoccurring revenue, right. that, that's the hardest. That's why so many businesses fail. Whether you're an entrepreneur or even an established business, there are peaks and valleys in the business, and sometimes those valleys get longer and deeper than the peaks. Mm. So you have a company, and let's just pick on a smart coffee maker manufacturer, Miele. Sure. Um, they're, they're a prominent uh, manufacturer. They make these items, these, these novelty items, a smart coffee maker. And they might be hot today, but let's say there's a war in the Middle East and suddenly the economy is not doing so well and right. people aren't buying those coffee, coffee. makers. Right. What's Miele going to do, right? It, it just invested so much R&D, so, so much resources into this coffee, coffee maker <laughs> and nobody wants it. Send it to the troops. <laughs> right? Yeah. How is it going to keep that cash flow going? Because sure. it's, it's business, and it does, you know, Miele does other things too, sure. but I'm just picking on the coffee maker right, business, right. right? How are you going to take this transaction and make it work for you? And that's really where the excitement of conversational commerce comes in. Mm. As you know, one of the best ways to make reoccurring revenues through affiliate sales. Mm. You know, you sell something for someone. If something is a uh, consumable, then there are there's a recurring stream of revenue. Right. So this coffee maker by 
virtue of the fact that it was linked to Amazon's network, mm. it became an affiliate sales partner of Amazon. Now, this is a fictional story. I really don't know what Miele's doing, and I right. don't know what Amazon's doing. Right. I don't stu you know, I study the trends. Right, right, but I understand. Assuming, and Mila, if you do that, I want credit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> assuming that that's what they're doing. Right. Every time you order those K-Cups, Mila gets a piece of the action. Sure. So by leveraging AI, by leveraging that right technology, you just turned a single transaction mm -hmm. into a new stream of reoccurring revenue, and that's what excites me. Mm. So that's what excites me about AI. Mm. What do I fear? What do you fear? All right. Um, contrary to popular opinion, I don't fear a uh, an AI Armageddon, a, ro a an army of robots hell bent on taking over the earth and enslaving right. humans. I don't <laughs> Seems think that's like a popular point of view. People <laughs> yeah. like to preach, but yes, I don't think it's going to happen in our lifetimes. Maybe not even right. our children's lifetimes. Hope not. Right. I'm more concerned about the human. Uh, elements of AI, the crime, the stuff we talked about, um, cybersecurity, hacks, ransomware. We've got hospitals that are turning away patients because some jerk mm. um, locked up their computer systems. Whether it's for um, you know national uh, interest, whether it's a politi politically motivated, right. whether it's motivated for personal gain, the fact is that we are living in a society today where we are extremely vulnerable. Our governments are being shut down. You know, whole cities are being affected. Our financial institutions, TravelX was just uh, hacked and uh, um, they were just locked down by ransomware. Right. So, you know, we have our very own homegrown, our fellow humans, our brothers and sisters are leveraging AI to cause us harm. Mm. And it's this kind of, um, utilization, this kind of application of AI that I fear because it can go even worse than it is today. We all have wearables, we've got genomics that are on the internet. Mm. Our biological information is basically in network somewhere. It's out there. Now, it is not so far-fetched to say that some hostile nation state might want to construct a biological weapon to wipe out a specific ethnic group. Mm. Um, this is the kind of thing that fears me. This the security um, or lack of security where we're getting hacked. And I mean, um, there was just a, a major hack of a biometric uh, powerhouse, uh, Suprema. Oh. Uh, you know, we're talking about biometrics being the next greatest thing in terms of security, not needing to have a password, you know, right. face Finger, lock. Fingerprint, right? face. Well, right, guess right. what? Your fingerprint and face scan is out there on the dark web today. Ugh. So, and unlike a password, which could be easily changed, this stuff. Right. This can't be changed. Unless you do plastic <laughs> surgery, and there are some that do, but we're not talking about that. Yeah. You're, you're kind of stuck. So right during its infancy, we've already gotten a blow on that. So this kind of stuff, this is what I fear from AI technology. So how do we mitigate those concerns? Can we use can we use the positive elements of AI to prevent against these these elements that that make us so so nervous, especially for the future for our children for for things that we can't change, like the biometrics, you know? Yeah. 
I just, uh, I, I was recently in India, I gave a keynote on this topic. Come on. And um, the way I presented it is uh, pretty much the way, you know, the way you did where, you know, we have a war, war a war of machines, basically. I didn't use those words exactly, but sure. essentially that's what it's become. The bad guys have AI, the good guys need AI to balance that. But here's the thing, if you look at the market statistics, um, within the next two or three years, there are going to be three and a half million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. Mm. Now, we've got the best and brightest minds in the market. We've got the best tools. Our networks are secure. We've got AI coming out of our ears. But the one thing we don't have are people. Mm. Uh, and not only that, we don't have all of the right people. What I mean by that is the hackers have no problem recruiting people that you know, take care of their needs. Yes. Right? We, if you look at the statistics, um, only about 24% of the cybersecurity workforce is made up of women. Mm. Um, the cybersecurity workforce is mainly white male. Mm. Uh, you know, so we're pretty much all thinking the same way. Not we need to think differently. Mm. We need women's perspectives. We need Certainly. minorities. Certainly. We need to have a good representation of everyone different perspectives, people thinking differently, coming up with new ideas. So this diversity, this topic of diversity and inclusion is a big part of it. I just recorded a podcast on that uh, this past week uh, on diversity and inclusion and why it's so important. Uh, but if we look at why is it that there only 20, that only 24% of the cyber workforce is made up of women. So I dug a little deeper. Uh, Alan Paller, who is the chairperson of the SANS Institute, he noticed that when um, he, he stepped into a Cisco high school Cisco networking class, mm. it would typically be 30 boys and one girl. Mm. Subliminally, these girls are getting the message, you're not wanted. We don't want you. This is not for girls. Right. Um, even funnier, so the person I interviewed, Deborah Rue, who is the CEO of Rue Global Impact, um, she actually uh, educates businesses on diversity and inclusion. She told me a story about Mattel, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Barbie manufacturer. Yeah, sure. They programmed a Barbie with AI. Uh, to speak to girls about career choices. Oh and, you know, the girl goes over to the robot Barbie, sure. and Barbie says, hey, little girl, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, I want to be a computer scientist. And Barbie says to her, have you ever thought about a career in fashion? Oh, my God. Now, after uh, this happened a couple of times, oh, yeah. they, uh, did some, cringing yeah, the right? they did some research into it, and it turns out that the AI was programmed no surprise there by white by males. men. Yes, that sounds so, right. <laughs> we're taking the same bias and we're programming, programming that into AI. So again, we need that girl to be that computer scientist. Absolutely. We need more women. Definitely. And that is the only way that we are going to get ahead of the game. That's how we're going to keep ourselves secure by uh, hiring, but we can't just hire women, we have to encourage them, to encourage. we have to inspire them and lead by example and show them that cybersecurity or any high tech, AI, computer science uh, uh, is a career where you will find fulfillment 
and you can make a difference in the world and okay. that way we as a society will benefit absolutely do you think there is there a strategy you have in mind to encourage people uh, to go forward in this industry to fill that gap of jobs is there how do we how do we encourage is it just you know this is a nice paying job or this is very well respected or you could have a long career i mean those those seem like the the normal ways we try to encourage people right. maybe is there do we need a societal shift what do you what do we what do we do with that well, you know, part of it is really, it's, it's subliminally, mm. it's subliminal because the girls are ingrained with the message that cybersecurity is not for them. It's not a girl job. Mm. And that's, that's the part that needs to change. It has to come from us. It has to come from industry leaders giving uh, presentations about that. One of my colleagues, uh, her name is Tyler Cohen Wood. She's a 20 year or some 18 plus year veteran of um, cyber intelligence and forensics. She worked for the Department of Defense, the CIA. Um, you know, pretty cool stuff in her career. And she's actually working on a um, conference geared towards girls called Cyber Girl Power. Mm. Uh, and this is basically going to be a conference where um, girls will hear uh, speeches and presentations <laughs> and, and get to play with the technology and, and get a feel for themselves that, hey, I can do this. This, mm. this is for me. And we need more people like that. Right. Definitely. Um, I'll just tell you a personal story to happen. Sure. Uh, so I have a son. So this is not with a girl, but same thing. I have sure. a son. Um, he just turned 13. So in the Jewish religion, he was bar mitzvah. Bar mitzvah. Congratulations. Big, thank you. Big time in his life. And in, in honor of this momentous occasion, I took him to Israel in the summer. And, you know, I'm very active in the cybersecurity community. So I took along some light reading. I took along sure. Scott Schober's book. Okay. We mentioned yes. cybersecurity is everybody's business. He handed it to him. <laughs> well, no, 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 you know, I, I had it with me. Okay. And then, you know, one evening I'm doing something and my son, so he was 12 at the time, he comes over to me and he starts spouting insights about cybersecurity. And I'm looking at him like, <laughs> say what? <laughs> I mean, I don't really talk shop with my kids. Right. So I asked him like, where on earth did you get this from? And he goes, from your book. And I said, which book? And he, and he goes, you know, the one you left on the dresser. And I said, oh, you read Scott's book. <laughs> so what did I do? Because I interview industry leaders all day long, I grabbed my phone, I said, hey, come over here, kid. <laughs> and you know, we did a, a quick impromptu interview. I asked him to share what he knows. Sure. And I posted it on Twitter as a book review for Scott Schober. <laughs> That's awesome. Within a short period of time, I had 1,400 views. Next thing I know, we get a gift in the mail from Scott Schober. He sent wow. it to my son. It was actually a cute little puzzle that was um, of the, the puzzle of the book cover, okay. you, know, you know, the cover of the book. Um, and a thank you letter to my son, you know, autographed by the author, you know, thank you for the review, uh, something to the effect of, you know, uh, there are great things in cyber, you know, basically encouraging him to continue along in cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. So when stuff like this happens, when a young child takes an interest in a high tech field, and puts his name out there and says something. And then to have an industry leader mm. um, give this child encouragement, that's huge. That's how we're going to get them interested in, in this field. And that's how we're going to solve that problem mm. of keeping us safe. 
I hope there's more people like Scott in this world. Absolutely. <laughs> We're counting on Scott. We're counting on your, your friend Tyler. Uh, yes. Ty- yes. Tyler Cohenwood. Yes. I, I think she may have uh, connected with me on LinkedIn, so I'm, uh, I'm excited. Maybe I'll talk to her about, about this initiative. It's, it is very interesting, and I definitely agree with you. We need, we need more diversity. That, that, will be, that will be the way we can you know, mitigate some of, these, some of these problems like For what sure. we see at Mattel. So, so cringy. (laughs) Moving forward. Um, (laughs) Will will AI create more jobs than it destroys? I know we touched upon that a little bit, so you don't, you know. No, I I love that question. I get asked that all the time because it's a concern that people have. Big concern people have, yeah. Um, So the short answer is, and then we'll expand that a little bit, there's going to be a shifting of jobs. Jobs will be lost and jobs will be created. There's going to be a net. And I feel it's going to be a net gain. Okay. There's going to be some pain. Definitely. Uh, right? Definitely. But if you think about it, this disruption, because that's really what it, what it is. Definitely. You know, it's disruption. It's nothing new. It, you know, in the 1850s, uh, you know, with the uh, Industrial Revolution, sure. you know, the, the steam engine. Yes. That already disrupted jobs. Definitely. Unless you, you're in midtown Manhattan, you're not going to see too many horse-drawn chariots. And <laughs> the only ones you see in midtown Manhattan are like $10 a minute or something yeah, like that. Very expensive. Right? There aren't any jobs available for horse-drawn chariots. Yes. I don't think too many people are crying over it. Yes. But okay. at the time, right. uh, it was very painful. Right. Now we have taxi drivers, and the taxi drivers are going to be disrupted. Right. But again, it's part of the progress. Um, a friend of mine shared with me a, a great analogy uh, when you think about this. Mm-hmm. You have a bank. A mm-hmm. uh, bank has a manager and, let's say, eight tellers. Sure. Uh, the bank decides to go all AI. You, the manager keeps his job. They get AI tellers. Right. All, all the tellers are gone. Right. Now, if you look at it just from a very narrow perspective, these eight tellers just lost their job, right? right? What, what's going to be with them? But if you look at the broad, the big picture, mm. um, this AI now enables the bank to save money and open up eight more branches. Those eight branches are going to need managers. Now, where are you going to get somebody that has experience working at a bank? Right. Why these eight tellers can be upskilled and they can be placed mm. as managers in the bank because they know the business. And guess what? Last time I checked, a manager gets paid way more than <laughs> a teller. Just a simple example. We're able to serve more people and the people themselves are able to actually have better jobs because of that. But you have to be willing to educate yourself. Right. And that's really the second half of my soapbox there. <laughs> Manual labor has no value. Mm. Uh, it's something that I learned as part of my evolution into entrepreneurship. Right. I was disrupted out of my industry. Many people were disrupted uh, over the last several years, you mm. know, with this new these new technologies coming out very quickly. And what you very quickly realize is that doing things has no value because things can be done better, faster, and cheaper by other means, mm. whether it's through people in other countries, whether it's through machines, uh, the point is that doing things will not uh, help you. What you need to do is you need to look inside yourself and leverage that part of yourself 
that is unique, that cannot be disrupted, and leverage that to deliver value to others because that value will never be disrupted. And it was a hard lesson. It sounds a lot simpler uh, than it is. This is an evolution and we need to educate ourselves. If you don't know, but you know, I, I uh, sell food on the street. What can a guy like me do? Well, you can do lots of things. You know, you have to broaden your horizon. The first thing I would recommend, speak to friends, find out what people are doing. Uh, maybe your circle of friends need to be upgraded. You know, if uh, you're hanging out sure. with a bunch of uh, buddies at the bar all day long, well, you know, maybe uh, look for other friends, but you have to broaden your horizons. That was mm. the biggest lesson that I learned. Uh, speak to people. I speak with, uh, I started off speaking with entrepreneurs every day and I speak with executives and industry leaders every day and I learn from them. And I'm evolving and we're all evolving. Everybody in my circle is evolving because we're educating ourselves. So it's not a matter of whether or not our job is going to disappear. It's really about making yourself invulnerable to disruption. Mm. And we each possess that capability. We just need to work at it and we need to actually put in the effort and make it happen. That is motivational. <laughs> I feel uh, supercharged. Yeah, right? I like that. <laughs> I mean, I think, I, I do think you are onto something. Um, I guess I would say similarly with our conversation with, you know, 5G and rollout, with ad with adoption for you know you know to to new to new jobs there will always be it will always be a little bit slow right manual labor right now agreed it it, it is losing its value but we still do need people to pick our fruits and vegetables it's going to be, be that evolution right it yeah. will be that that similar evolution will be it will be slower in certain ways and then people will catch up and the speed and then we'll we'll come to the next wave and the robots will take over yeah uh, hopefully not <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay last question for you here i know you have a big meeting in midtown so i don't want to take up too much more of your time but this is an interesting one this is this is about privacy um, it's something I've asked a few other people before. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get different perspectives on it because I, I, I've found that a lot of people maybe either aren't so sure how they feel about their own privacy or are very, are very adamant that we, we need to feel like we need to be protecting this. So I, I, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. And the question is, is there a consensus on the importance of privacy these days? I've seen more and more people my age, especially, they're willing to give out a lot of private information to big corporations for the sake of convenience. I mean, social media comes to mind, but plenty of other, you know, Apple biometric technology, right? To log into your phone two milliseconds faster. So people are willing to give out a lot of private information, a lot of stuff that could be easily hackable for the sake of convenience. Um, will the growing industry around data change this privacy? Should people care more about their privacy? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you yeah. hit it right on the head. I, I myself, unfortunately, also uh, you know, <laughs> use some of these technologies yeah. and it, it's a part of daily life. You know, you can't crawl under a rock. Uh, we have to we have to live in the real world in the real world yeah i mean your data is out there you have to, you know you either have to give up your fingerprint or face scan to log into your iphone or you have to enter your 
you know, r ridiculous, yeah, cumbersome code, yeah. password <laughs> yeah. every every single time your phone locks and right. it buzzes to see an email. So it's a balance. Interesting thing, um, talking about Scott Schober again, he mentions that in his book and he mm -hmm. talks about the different ecosystems of uh, technologies and he mentions Apple as being the most secure. He vouches for iOS as being the safest, not to say that it can't be hacked, right. everything could be hacked, but in terms of you know what's more likely to right. be secure and keep your data secure right. so that's just a side note in terms yeah. of whether or not you know someone's trying to make a decision about what platform to use right apple is apple is apple, apple is king right today certainly <laughs> today things can change definitely but you know on a on on a more uh, general level what do we do you know is there a consensus people are becoming more educated uh, by us having conversations like this, uh, by people becoming victims to identity theft, I just had a colleague of mine get their Twitter account hacked, uh, and that can be devastating, especially if you spend the last 10 years building up a business, building up a brand on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and that's just one thing, right? I mean, uh, uh, you know, identity theft is serious, and like, like I mentioned, now we're going to have our biometric data, genomic data, everything's everything's going online. It's all out there. Um, for that, we also, in, in, besides being smart and knowing you know, where to go and what products to use, we also need legislation Definitely. because we need to hold companies accountable. So we all know about GDPR mm -hmm. uh, that was passed in Europe a few years ago. What does that stand for? Uh, General Data Protection Legislation. Okay. Uh, or regulation, regulation. sorry, okay. um, and that protects European citizens mm -hmm. uh, for data privacy. And then the California Consumer Protection Act, which just went into effect January 1st, 2020, and 12 other states joined them in 2018 to propose all kinds of legislation around consumer protection and there is more being proposed on a regular basis. So more government entities are coming on board with requirements for legislation because we realize that this is a fact of life and we cannot allow it to be the wild west. Just let everybody do whatever they please. Too much I mean, at stake. Yeah, there's too much at stake. We need to safeguard uh, people's data. At the same time though, it is, you know, like the American Constitution, it's we the people that choose who we do business with. And that is a very important factor here. Because ultimately, now that we're becoming educated consumers, if companies don't treat our data properly, if you allow your employees to walk around with laptops with flat files of seven million customers, you know, social security numbers and right. birth dates, on the laptop and then get it stolen, that's a problem. And if you hide the fact. Mm. Oh my God, that's the worst. Right, the that's, that today, that's going to destroy a business. Trust is a big deal and trust needs to be earned. If a business focuses on consumer privacy, uh, data, data privacy, data protection, and makes that um, a, an area of importance, makes that their, their core uh, prime directive, so to speak, that company will have a competitive edge in the marketplace. 
Um, there was a, a small cloud provider in the UK that beat the incumbent Google. Mm. Their claim to fame was data privacy. Mm -hmm. They put, made that a priority. France, uh, I think it was a year or two ago, favored a small-time browser called Quant over Google. Mm. Uh, again, because of data privacy. Yeah, Google is <laughs> so, huge in that category. Um, so trust is a big deal, and companies are starting to realize that this is going to be a big issue. So one of the global leaders in digitalization is called Siemens. We all, we've all heard of Siemens. Sure. They put together a collaborative of 17 global organizations into what they call the Charter of Trust. And what this is, it's a bunch of companies doing research into how to bring trust into a digital world. And they post recommendations of, you know, how, like for example, companies must support um, patches and updates for the full life cycle of the product and, and things like that in order to make sure that any vulnerabilities are patched. Right. So my opinion about initiatives like the cybersecurity charter of trust is that something like this has the potential to be the gold standard by which we measure companies against you know whether or not it's going to become the gold standard or not that's you know my opinion here but i think that i personally would rather do business with a company that declares and demonstrates that they take my data privacy seriously and makes it a priority than uh, you know another company that's a maybe. Mm. So my my basic message here is that a company that prioritizes their customers' data privacy will have a major competitive edge in the marketplace because only then will they earn that consumer trust and trust is that new differentiator in today's marketplace. It's very interesting. What would you say about companies that already have a big foothold in the industry, for instance, Google, and now there's so much coming out about their misuse of privacy? What do we do in that case where we as a consumer, I'm not going to say, you know, I wouldn't say Google has a... I mean, maybe they do have a stranglehold on the search engine market, but I know there's something such as DuckDuckGo, you know, which does a better job with encryption and, and, and making sure your searches are private and things stay private. Can we get people to shift to DuckDuckGo or because Google is the standard, they're just going to be, you know what, I'm going to use Google, it's faster, it's, it's quote unquote better, you know, how do we, how yeah. do we get that shift when a company already has everybody's trust? And it's hard for people, you know, to change. You know, it's interesting you say that because I myself was looking into other browsers. Right. I went back to Chrome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's habitual. And look, yeah. we've all heard the stories about Facebook yes. uh, misappropriating Certainly. data. And we all know it and we all use it. Yes. You know, there are those diehards that say, oh, I'm not going on Facebook. Right. But the majority of us are still doing it. Definitely. So... Yes, the big companies have a little bit more of a buffer. You know, yeah. there's a little bit of that forgiveness factor because yeah. of the familiarity, but that doesn't mean that they're completely invulnerable. Right. You know, someone could come in, may, you know, another Facebook, I don't know, but somebody could potentially come in and take away that market share from Facebook. Mm. It's been known to happen. Sure. So, you know, yes, they have, they have that element right now because everyone's using them and there's no other platform. 
but that can change. I wouldn't, sure. you know, I wouldn't hang my hat on that. Okay. Okay. Well, Avraham, thank you very much for coming to me and speaking today. It was an absolute pleasure. You had some great insights, really fabulous answers to these questions, and I'll be sure to put up some clips on LinkedIn for my lovely audience here. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real honor. Absolutely. Thank you very much.